Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Steph. You might remember Steph from episode 69, Nice, where Steph and three of her friends were all on the show at the same time to talk about how great Lady Maria is. We also delved into some shipping and just kind of how characters are perceived in in general, but we didn't have a chance to go um, delve deep like this podcast usually does. So I asked Steph back on the podcast so we could talk in-depth about all of the games that she has played and not played and the inspiration she has taken from the series. Uh, I think this is a really great episode, uh, so I am going to let you enjoy it. Thanks for listening, everyone. So let's uh, let's start at the very beginning and tell me how you uh, came across the Soul series for the first time. For the very first time? For the very first time. Oh, God. Okay, it was like a billion years ago. A billion thousand years ago. Because we're ancient now. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was specifically on Facebook. And I had a dude friend tell me that I should play this video game. But I watched like maybe 10 minutes of gameplay. And I was like, no. <laughs> you can't make me. I just, I couldn't do it. This was Dark I, Souls or, or Demon oh, Souls? Oh, yeah. They, yes, dark, this was yeah. Dark Souls. Um, I didn't know Demon Souls existed until I actually started to get more into it. But it was pretty specifically Bloodborne that weaseled me into the series. And uh, my friend Molly and I, Molly lives with me now, so we're roommates. And we had a um, comic that we were working on developing for a while. And aesthetically, <laughs> I remember one day she just linked me this like gift set from a series. It was from Bloodborne, by the way. And it was the exact aesthetic we were going for <laughs> in the in comic. This thing we were, de- yes, awesome. And the more I started to delve into it, I remember talking briefly about it. This was back when I played League of Legends. God, and I was talking to Grace, and Grace was like, "Dark Souls? <laughs> Do you want to talk about Dark Souls, Stephanie?" <laughs> and now I'm here. <laughs> and then you got addicted. <laughs> yeah. What was it? I'm curious. When you saw the that first video of Dark Souls One, uh, what was it that put you off? Was it like something with the difficulty, or was it like some um, some meme it video or something, or what was it? I don't think it was the difficulty, and it definitely wasn't the meme videos because those are some of my favorite. It's even now I have a difficulty in playing Dark Souls. Like if you know me, you'd know that I haven't physically played the games myself. I played a little bit of Dark Souls One. It's the turtley fighting style, I think, that turns me off really badly for the series. Okay. Like, hiding behind a shield, basically. Yes. I really dug Bloodborne in the way that it was like, you commit, right? Like, you have to commit or you're going to get fucked up. Pardon my language. We're, we're, really we were ready to time. E for everything is allowed. So go right ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great rating. But <laughs> I like the fast-paced combat more. I've always been the type of person that if I play DPS class, i got to go fast. Mm-hmm. So, like, waiting forever and ever and ever turned me off the series really badly. I need instant gratification, which is why I watch other people play the video game and navigate. I'm going to, but, uh, after this, I'm going to link you some of my Dark Souls 1 videos where, because I don't play with a shield and I play with, you know, under 25% equip load. So I, I you know, it's fast oh rolls and things like that. I think that might actually make you enjoy that game because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like playing it when it's really, I don't like playing it with, you know, big fat armor and with a oh giant shield God. and things like that because it feels like it's, it's very so... slow. It's so slow, and, like, this is the type of game where you feel like you have to, like, 
be fast and think of in your feet and like pay attention to what's actually going on around you when I'm hiding behind a shield the whole time. <sighs> Softly. <laughs> I'm curious when you were when you first found Bloodborne, those get like gift set and that aesthetic. Was it just straight up like kind of monsters and the Victorian steampunky kind of thing, or what, what, what was it specifically that you guys were going for? It was okay. So I'll explain a little bit a little bit about it to you. Sure. Um, it's essentially it has to do with like witch hunting. It was in particular, it's like what if like witches and witch hunters, and it was a pretty cool thing. But in terms of like. I guess a scourge that's being hunted down by one like all powerful sect of people because it's a blight on humanity or whatever. That was a big part of the aesthetic. And even like in terms of like architecture and the way that they dressed and like even weapon style, it was really, really similar to sketches we'd already done and developed. So it was just really cool to see it in real life. Monsters wise, it was definitely different because they were going for beasts versus like magic. Right. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. But it's very good and very inspiring. I really like the aesthetic of the Soulsborne series. Like, it reminds me a lot of when I was a kid, and I remember one of the first really good atmospheric horror games I played was Fatal Frame. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. And just the whole like muted color palette, like really breadcrumby style lore where you don't get the whole story unless you're looking for it. And even the sense that it can get incredibly difficult if you don't know what you're doing. Atmospheric games like Rule of Rose, there are some of my favorite things growing up, and so I think my attraction to Dark Souls came from a lot of being into those when I was younger. Is Rule of Rose that weird kind of like you're you're in school, like there's a school or something? Is that what that is? Uh, Rule of Rose, <laughs> it's so hard to explain. It was banned in so many countries for so many different reasons. Um, it's about an orphanage. That's what it is. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you play this girl called Jennifer, and a lot of people, um, when they focus on the game, they focus on the things like shock value. Like, it, it's a pretty dark game. I'm not going to lie. It doesn't feel dark in the way that a lot of games these days use things like, I don't know, even like animal abuse or like traumatic experiences as a child as a way to like... I don't know, make people upset on purpose. Mm-hmm. The way that the game itself was explored has, it felt a lot more realistic than a lot of other games these days. You play a girl called Jennifer and you go back to this orphanage that you're raised in as a child. And as you're going there, you're recovering your lost memories as to what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a friend of mine, uh, he does a, um, horror, horror Twitch stream. excuse me a horror twitch stream and uh he had played through this game and um for whatever reason when somebody linked it to me and uh they said that it was uh, a resident evil game and so i was watching this with my wife and we were like watching this weird and i was like man this doesn't look like any resident evil game i've ever played in my life (laughs) (laughs) not at all and it took me a little while to figure out what was going on right (laughs) like i just had no idea yeah when i first played it because that game came out in like Oh, God, my sister was really young, so it must have been, like, 2006, mm-hmm. I think, something like that. And so I was a wee bap back then. I was in junior high, I think, and I had to play that game two or three, maybe four times to actually understand what the fuck was going on in it, because so much of it, if you're not paying attention, doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Gotcha. It's, I think the, the big thing they're going for is, like, how little girls specifically can get kind of like culty and a lot of people just completely miss that and we're like well why isn't it horrific well because it's not a horror game it wasn't supposed to be marketed that way 
Interesting. Yeah. So this was this was the kind of aesthetic, like this was what kind of what you were looking for, kind of a, a little bit different of a vibe than like monsters or anything. Yes, I love uh, even like the themes of Dark Souls. I guess get me this like the cyclic history and the thing, the way that humans never really change, even humanity being greedy as a whole. Like it's good stuff. It's good stuff to look at. It's good stuff to learn about. It's good stuff to explore. Like it's a lot different than a lot of other games, but this is also coming from the kid who wanted to be a vampire when they grew up. <laughs> so <laughs> there's that, I guess. Yeah. I, I blame Anne Rice for all of my weird goth tendencies when I was, you know, 12 and 13 years old. Thank you, Anne Rice for, <laughs> for making that all, all strange and weird for me. I appreciate that. I love it. When, you, when we're talking about the, uh, the lore of dark souls, what, like, how are you exploring that? Are you, cause you mentioned that you're not really like kind of getting into the games, like and physically playing them. Are you, are you watching videos online? Or are you like reading synopsis? How was that? How are you experiencing I like, that? I started out with YouTube videos mostly. Okay. Well, it started out with grace, very emphatically explaining these things to me <laughs> and me trying to connect the dots. Cause it was kind of sporadic. She, she loves it so much. It's so great to like listen to her talk about it because you can just feel how much she loves dark souls, but it was the internet primarily it was videos and things like that and then it was like reading through wikis and looking at different lore bits and i watch um molly play them actually because molly really likes to play video games and i'm not so big on video games the ye old osteoporosis makes it a little more difficult to play them these days mm-hmm. but especially with like bloodborne we played that one together like she mostly played it when i'd be sitting on the couch with her and she streamed some of the original Dark Souls, and I do distinctly remember being in a Skype call with her trying to tell her where to go in the video game, having never played it before. It was <laughs> With a 30-second lag, because it's Twitch. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Doing our best here. Um, it's like in Bloodborne, in the woods. And Molly was just like, where do I go? And I was like, I don't know, I just know it's snakes. I know that it's like 10,000 paths of snakes, and they drew the map that like just has snakes in it, but that's what the map looks like, too, because there's like 900 paths. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the maps in the Bloodborne guides and the stuff that you find online, especially in the early days, were kind of bad as far as trying mm-hmm. to get you through something. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how you're supposed to explain to someone, oh, you got to go down this path and then kind of turn around 270 degrees and go into some mm-hmm. water and then you're going to see a pig, I think. <laughs> like, well, you're going to see like one pig, but if you don't see the pig, you've either gone too far, you haven't gone far enough. But the pig also <laughs> like patrols. And so if you don't see him, you like have to look for this other thing. It's rough. That's really funny. So, were you uh, like when you're when you're watching and you're kind of taking all of this stuff in? Are you are you piecing together the story in your mind? Like when you, when you mentioned like looking at YouTube videos, like what kind of stuff were you were you watching? Like the body stuff or? I watch body stuff definitely. I watch a lot of like actual like playthroughs mm-hmm. because I really a really big draw for the series for me is how the game looks aesthetically, like the environments and even like armor styles. The NPCs you do actually meet that aren't trying to kill you. Like, a big thing is I like looking at it. With Bloodborne, I think I got more into the actual lore bits mm-hmm. of it and more about the story. One, because it didn't span like three and a half games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And because the big thing I noticed even when I was trying to get more into Dark Souls lore is that like you have one and three that like directly make sense, and then you have Dark Souls 2 where it's just like, this is what happened while you were dead, basically. Yeah, it really feels but, like the two and three are like 
it feels like two happens after three in a lot of different ways, even though it specifically doesn't like the games, you know, don't don't allow yeah. that to happen with the canon. But yeah, it, 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 that's what it feels like. Two feels like it takes place on a totally different continent. On a totally freaking different continent. Like, I love the lore of it. And I love the idea that Queen of Chandra showed up and was like, hey, you want to do this thing for me? <laughs> and of course, he's like, yeah, buddy, it's going to be great. And it wasn't great. And it was never great. And it just kept happening because... The idea of humans making the same mistakes over and over and over. They do. Yeah, and and Vendrick's quest to try to break out of that, I think, is is super interesting as well. Like him, you know, him and Aldia trying to get together and figure out how they can prevent this from happening again and prevent it from happening Mm -hmm. over and over again is some of my, like, some of the most interesting stuff in Souls. And Mm -hmm. I've always been kind of sad that they they didn't, like, go deeper with that with three. Mm hmm. Aldia needs some chill, though. Dude had no chill. <laughs> yeah. Aldia and Seath are uh, up there for, like, kidnapping people and w- performing weird experiments on them in Souls games. Yep. Jesus Christ. I remember learning about it, like, even at the Emerald Herald, and I'm just like, dude, like, no chill. There's not Just sit down for five minutes and reconsider. <laughs> for, like, five seconds. <laughs> Get out of your basement. It's gonna be okay. Audio. Uh, I mean, Audio does really, seem like but... a, a giant basement nerd, right? Like he he's like a. He, is... <laughs> he would be one. He, he would have his own YouTube channel from his parents' house if he was in 2018. Oh God, he reminds me. It reminds me very specifically of the screen cap from Pacific Rim of the scientist guy being like, "No, no, no, wait," and just completely frazzled. He was doing his best. He was trying most of the time. He was trying he was his trying. best. Even if his best was the worst sometimes, he was trying. Yeah, his best wasn't very good, but he tried. <laughs> Gold star. There's a line from um I do a podcast on the on the show Supernatural and uh mm-hmm. there's a line from that show uh in season I think I want to say it's season 4 or 5 where uh like a dude is like I'm trying my best and the guy looks at him and says, like, "Well, you need to try the best of someone else because yours isn't yeah. good enough." And that's, that's what it always comes to mind with Audio. You need to do the best of somebody else this time. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Your best could use some adjustments, maybe. <laughs> Just a suggestion. Um, when it, when we're talking about like Bloodborne's aesthetics and how that that kind of drew you in, I know I know Molly is a is an illustrator. And for those of you who don't mm-hmm. remember that, if, if you're listening to this. Um, Molly, Stephanie, Nikki, and Grace that Steph just mentioned were all on an episode uh, number 69, nice, um, that, where they all got together and talked about uh, Lady Maria and other crazy oh. things. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well as uh, Grace and Nikki's episode because they've had, both had individual episodes since then. Um, but are you were you drawing this stuff out or were you, were you writing alongside uh, Molly's illustrations? I am a writer. Okay. I can't draw with anything. If I can draw a circle on a good day, that's yeah. interesting, definitely. But... No, Molly does the art part. I'm curious how, um, like, all of these things, like the characters, uh, like, did that inspire anything in your actual own written stuff? The, what, Bloodborne in particular? Bloodborne in particular. Or Dark Souls, yeah, wherever you want to go with that. It has, actually, and I was thinking about it recently, and I told you that I really enjoyed the, like, aesthetics of Mm -hmm. a lot of these games, and, like, I enjoy the story, but I'm just, like, looking at it, it looks so good. Going back on a tangent is probably part of the reason why I'm so excited for the Dark Souls remaster because it will be improved. Dark Souls is a little rough. Just a little bit. It does. It has not... I think it's aged remarkably well, but like it's definitely not a 2018 kind of game at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I Even when it comes to like a lot of Dragon Age games, even like Dragon Age 2 is too rough for me to play right now. I'm spoiled. Spoiled PC gamer. (laughs) 
but <laughs> I'm doing my best. Nostalgia only does so much. But <laughs> as far as it actually like inspiring characters and stuff, very recently it has. Um, I do D and D, and everybody does D and D these days. And I, my partner, um, Alex, has been running a campaign for us, and we were trying to think of, I guess, like an interesting homebrew for all intents and purposes. And we had some characters a long time back that were kind of relevant to the ideas we wanted to have going and I developed a homebrew class for blood magic right because blood magic is cool as heck but a lot of it took a lot of inspiration from one the aesthetic of a lot of the bloodborne usage of blood and like you know the fire thing because it's really cool but The whole Canehurst blood magic and, you know, lighting your own blood on fire and using it as, a, yeah, as, a, as an I offensive I love Canehurst. I could probably go on for 900 years about Canehurst and how cool it is and how I wish we spent more time there and learned more about its actual culture and, like, the people who existed outside of just the castle. That, but, you know, story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe later in the Ugh, podcast. <laughs> aesthetics. But a lot of the idea of humanity and souls i guess is relevant and specific for the blood magic it's more that you sacrifice bits of your soul through the blood to perform the miracles and so it obviously can cause issue if you take too much or you don't let it grow back slowly like the more you use it the less humanity you have essentially not to the point of becoming beef jerky but more in the sense of like actions i guess it's still just a very cool concept yeah, it's almost a it's almost a measurement for desperation in my mind. Like yeah, the, exactly. The, I'm like gently caressing like something in the air. You can't actually see it, but it's me caressing these ideas. Very <laughs> <good>. <laughs> I talk with my hands even when I'm just talking on Skype. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I know a lot of people that are like that. I have to have something in my hands when I'm podcasting, or else I just start like waving them around and hitting the mic and everything. It's not great. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that idea of. Um, and I, I think that we, we talked a lot about that in the um, ep- in the episode that you were on previous to this of like Lady Maria, the three phases of that fight where she's more and more desperate and she starts using things that she would swore she would never use like the blood magic and the fire magic and things like that. I think that's really remarkable how the the lore of the, what you know about that cap- her capability and her promises like are affected in the actual boss fight itself as you're playing against her and that. All of that stuff comes from Kanehurst, and I just I adore all of it so much. Kanehurst is so, like, I really love Bloodborne, and I love the ideas behind Bloodborne. I like that it's a really cohesive story when you're actually looking at it from the outside, but it still feels segmented, I guess. Like, there's parts of it that could have definitely been expanded on more, and I personally don't ever think there's going to be Bloodborne 2. Like, it is a very well-rounded story in its own right. Um, but there's a lot more themes in places outside of Yarnum, like in Canehurst, that I would have enjoyed exploring a little bit more. Like, it just feels so bare bones sometimes, and I just want a little more. Because even in the terms of Maria, when you first fight her, you know that the patients respect her to a degree, but part of that, you're not sure if it's you know, that she's actually nice to them or that they're so delusional that they just want to impress her at this point. Or is it a, is it a respect that was earned from 
what she did or the fear that she instilled in them. Like that could be yeah. two different things as well. Cause they, they call her, her, they call her their savior as you're running around the re- research hall. But that, yeah. that can mean so many different things, especially when you're dealing with actual patients that have had their brains exploded and they, now they're wearing them out on the outside essentially. Like it's, it, yeah. that could mean a lot of different things, which I find real interesting. Exactly. And you don't actually find out that even her desperate use of blood is completely unlike her until you find the Rakuyo. Which I watched Molly go through the effort of finding it the other day. <laughs> uh, gotta love those fishmen. <laughs> I, it's just the way they run when you turn around. It just, it's not cool. And yeah, they deal with their like enormous gaping maws, but the run, it's too much. They uh, the weird belly slide where they just like can, and they they can do it from like what it feels like a thousand miles away and then a hit you miles six away. or seven times. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, uh. <laughs> do not want do not like yeah they just oh god don't touch me and that's usually a thing that i say when playing video games just don't touch me I didn't <laughs> do not i did not ask <laughs> have you uh you, we, we've talked a little bit about dark souls one and two and, and bloodborne have you have you mess around with Dark Souls 3 at all or have you seen some people stream through that? I have watched some videos on Dark Souls 3 but the thing is I still really want to play it. Like I personally, that's a game that I actually really want to play. I think aesthetically it's great. I've heard Grace talk about it more often than not because I do distinctly remember texting her when she was fighting the dancer and sheer rage. Just I've never seen Grace get so angry about anything ever in her life. She just was so mad. She was so angry. She told me about how like angry she was in person when she was playing with Shane there. And it just made me laugh. When Dark Souls 3 first came out, um, Grace got it for her laptop and she streamed a little bit of it for me, including chasing the like blue glowy crystal monster right at the very beginning of the game. Mm -hmm. Even though I was like, Grace, you probably don't want to touch that. Like, you were scared of the clouds above you casting shadows, but you want to go touch the blue glowy thing. <laughs> it didn't turn out well. Of course it didn't. In case, of course it did. <laughs> it never does in Dark Souls. Like, even even if you have the best of intentions, like, the it's it's telling that the happy endings for a lot of NPCs are just, they're dead now. Or you never yep. spoke to them in the first place. You never spoke to them. You just leave them alone. Just don't talk to anybody. If they're not trying to kill you, don't interact. <laughs> That was, chosen undead do not interact. That was the the thing that was the, I think the most impactful on me from a from a story perspective when I first got started playing Dark Souls One is um, you're used to games where as you play through these role playing games things get like you're helping out your friends right like if this was a Zelda game like every time you would interact with someone like they would be in generally better than they were before and then mm. I'm playing through Dark Souls One and you know watching Solaire go crazy. Like, I was like, what have I done? This was my oh, bud. And, oh, crap. And then, you know, the whole thing with the Onion Knight and finding him dead with his daughter and realizing, like, oh, shit, like, he, she killed him. She had to. Like, that's so sad. Like, what is this video game? Like, what? why are you doing this to me? <laughs> it's mean. It's mean is what it is. <laughs> People are like, oh, it's so difficult. It's so difficult to play the video game. It's unfairly difficult. I'm like, no, it's mean to your, like, feelings. It's mean to those. Yeah, there's... There's an alternate world out there where they marketed based on how much this game makes you cry and not how much it makes you like how much it punishes you or makes you die that I think would have been really fun. <laughs> 
the, the most I, emotional, the dark souls of emotional games, as the games oh. for us would probably say. So you're actually would, gonna you're actually gonna go through and, and play three yourself. What what is it about that game that's, that's like drawn to. you in? Mm, I'm shallow. It's aesthetics mostly. Yeah. And I think it's more that I actually have the means to play it on not my PC on a controller. Mm-hmm. I would like to slowly get through it, but especially now that I understand more about it, it's like when Dark Souls when they re-release it. Um. I will probably end up getting it for the Switch and actually playing through it. Because, little known fact about the spoiled PC gamer, controllers suck. I hate using controllers. <laughs> using controllers for anything just it makes me so sad. I really liked the Switch because my hands were spaced out enough that it didn't cause a lot of issues. I have really bad arthritis in my fingers mm-hmm. most of the time. So holding a small controller is like torture like I can't move my fingers for days if I play for a few hours interesting but the switch was a really good actual system for holding things so I would probably get it on the switch even though it won't look as nice and then I can carry it places and not have to sit on the couch that's um that's interesting because a lot of my a lot of my Twitter feed since this this announcement happened this week um, to immediately date this podcast um, has been <laughs> you know people debating what version they're going to get this remaster uh, like what console they're going to get it on um, and I've seen a bunch of people be excited about the Switch version just for that portability, but everyone that I've talked to were concerned that they were going to break their hands trying to play it just because the you know that those Joy Cons are a little bit smaller. So it's interesting to hear that. With you know, with your arthritis, it would actually be better on the Switch than it would be like a you know just a standard PS4 or Xbox controller. Yeah, for me specifically, a lot of people don't know this about me because I do not look this small in my photos. I am like five foot two on a good day. I have these tiny baby hands, and you're big people controllers are too much <laughs> for my hands. They're too much. They're too big. The actual like tiny joy cons when like you take it off the screen and you hold, that's too small. That's not good. But when it's actually attached to the sides of the screen, it's a really good size. It's like playing a 3DS, but slightly larger. Have you it's, seen the, um, the new PS4 controller that they came out with recently? No. The, the tiny one? <laughs> There's a tiny one. Yeah, I'll link you in the in, in the chat real quick, and, and uh, I'll put this in the show notes as well. But it's it's a really oh cute, no, it's small. Yeah, it's really it's specifically for like people with really small hands to be able to play on PS4, which I thought was kind of cool. It, which is really nice because tiny baby hands <laughs> they are so small. Yeah, it's I don't, like I look at bigger gamer keyboards and they're too big. My fingers do not move that far. Yeah, I've seen some some enormous keyboards. So, oh gosh. No, I like the Switch. I like how portable it is, and I like that if I have a depression app in my bed, I can still play it without having to turn on the TV. So yeah, yeah. I really like the Switch. I think that's one thing that um, like I've been really tempted to buy it, and it's really a lot for that reason, just like in case the it's TV really is occupied. Good. Yeah, that's really fun. And also not to uh, talk about a video game that isn't Dark Souls, but if you have played Breath of the Wild, it's really fun. It It's really funny because... Dark Souls being slightly inspired by Zelda, it feels like it's come a little full circle in the sense that you can completely ignore the plot and still have a really good time. So. And it feels like they, um, so I played a lot of, not a lot, I played some Breath of the Wild on the on the Wii U. And um, mm-hmm. I think I kind of fell off of it just because, you know, other games came out and I got distracted and the Wii U is kind mm-hmm. of a pain in the ass to play anyway. But um, Yeah, a little bit. The uh, it's It's interesting because they do seem to take some of that some of the ideas that Dark Souls took from Zelda and evolved into 
and then they took those ideas and evolved them further for for Zelda. Like a lot of people call the combat in Zelda like very very soulsy. Um, yeah, <laughs> but and it is like they slowed it down and they made it more interesting. They made it more a little bit more intricate than it has been in the past. One of my favorite Zelda games is Wind Waker. And I love that game. Like I love, love I, I, Wind Waker I, I, so I just, much. I love the way that it looks. I love all of the characters in it. Like it's so pretty, um, but like the combat is very, very shallow. Like it's just not. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that they do to make it hard doesn't make the game more interesting or anything. It just makes it harder. Yeah. It just stacks numbers. So I'm not really interested in doing that. But Breath of the Wild's combat is. I mean, I hate to be like, oh, it's the Dark Souls of of X. Like I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that yeah. Twitter account. But. <laughs> At the same time, like it's very, like, it feels like Dark Souls. Like Assassin's Creed Origins feels like Dark Souls combat now. Like it's yeah, weird. I meant I mentioned that to Alex because Alex was playing Assassin's Creed. I was like, you know, this looks like awfully Soulsy for something that isn't, you know, Souls. <laughs> but then again, it was like a huge like cult hit, and tons of people are taking that kind of influence. So like, makes sense, and it works, and it's fun. My only gripe, I think, about Breath of the Wild, like the combat itself, feels very Soulsy. Even the you have to take your time and figure out good ways to go about things the bosses and the actual difficulty of the game was so intensely disappointing i wanted it to be more difficult i expected something hard yeah it's even like when i talk about bloodborne and how i wish they'd explore more themes with the game like it was a good solid complete game and you can get the whole story and enjoy it and i just have my microphone i'm sorry <laughs> and like enjoy what's going on it reminded me a lot of like twilight princess that standalone game that's so different from all the other Zelda games. And they have this really cool world with the Twilight Realm that they don't do anything with past. Oh, a bad thing happened here. Yeah. I, Ringing give, my give, hands. Give me more information, please. Like more I want please. to know more. <laughs> that's one of the, the frustrating things about um, like delving into Dark Souls lore sometimes is the, the dead ends that I'm yeah. sure from a writer's perspective was just kind of a, a one-off thing that was there for flavor but that inspires, you know, your imagination so much that you just kind of want to like, no, I want to know more. Like, tell me more about this god who's named Flan, who's like the god of fire yeah. that, you know, Guinevere just ran off with. Just shakes from software by their ankles. More. <laughs> yeah, until lore, <laughs> until, lore, until item descriptions until start falling out. Until it just falls out, like out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be just a series of post-it notes that somebody has written down to, to put on the back right. of swords and shields. Yeah. Just like a freaking like accordion of post-it notes that never actually put on anything. I, uh, I just I just talked about this on a on another podcast, um, but the the idea of like I'd I'd love to be able to interview some of the writers behind some of the soul stuff because the idea of creating a story uh, and then breaking that story down into component parts and then putting that in item descriptions is really fascinating to me because yeah I'm not a writer or anything like that but I have written and I, I enjoy you know reading stories and things like that and just from a narrative perspective it's really interesting how that how it breaks up the standard narrative device right that's just not just telling you what's happening it's making you figure it yeah. out that would be like the dream like hashtag the dream <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I don't know that I'm ever going to get uh, a from software employee on here, strictly because you know I don't speak Japanese for one. So that's probably going to be a little yeah. difficult. Yeah, <laughs> maybe someday. Maybe someday you can dream. What um like we we've talked about how like the aesthetics have have inspired you and everything like that. Um, like does it has it changed like your interest in in games in general or anything like that? Like has has like looking at these games or and playing them for as much as you have like does that make you want different things out of out of games? Well, always. As a kid, I grew up on a lot of different video games, but I grew up on a lot of, like, the JRPGs. I grew up on Legend of Zelda and the odd Mario Tennis and Pokemon game here and there. But 
a lot of times in my games, I like to look for a really strong narrative, and I like to specifically look for a narrative that doesn't seem to bring social politics into it, as usual. It's not discriminatory. Mm-hmm. Like, the, I think one of my absolute favorite things about Dark Souls is that literally your gender has nothing to do with it. 100%. That's one of the first things that actually drew me to it when I first started to, like, think about it in passing or respect it even as a genre because for a long time and you know this thing when it first came out it's it's so difficult only hardcore gamers can get into this i had no idea there was even a story in dark souls i just thought it was really hard (laughs) like on purpose i just thought it was really hard and that if you switched from a male to a female the armor didn't change exactly which yeah which i think was one of the first things that actually made me consider it as more of a thing i'd want to get into but i do expect a lot from my video games if it just like throws the story at me it's boring you got to make someone look for it it's not as gratifying just have everything happen at once or just be one big cutscene of a video game looking at you square enix <laughs> but seriously <laughs> like they're great but like if i wanted to watch a 12-hour movie you could have just made me pay for a dvd like yeah, just make a Not good movie. Pay... Don't make a bad movie slash video game. Oh, don't make me pay $60 for a 16-hour movie. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I don't know. I really appreciate Dark Souls in that, one, it trains you to actually pay attention to your surroundings. And two, that it doesn't hand everything to you. Like, if you want to know more about something, you have to go and find it. You can't just expect it to show up. Yeah, having the thing that I always come back to with Dark Souls is it trusts the player in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I, it's it's weird, and I and I've, and I've used this term before, uh, but it, and it never gets less comfortable for me, uh, but mm-hmm. or more comfortable, I should say. But um, it's weird to talk about bravery in the terms of like game development, but it is kind of a brave thing that they include areas like Kanehurst or uh, Ashes. Um, that, what is the beach? Ash Lake. Uh, yeah, and these beautiful areas that you know took a significant amount of you know resources to build and to put in this game and they just hide them with almost no indication mm-hmm. that they're there and then trust the players to find them and trust that the players will have interest enough to go find every single little shred because you could see uh, a money guy somewhere saying like hey you just spent you know a month of our development time making Kanehurst you've made this castle it's got all these unique enemies and these unique monsters and all this gear and you're telling me that you're not going to like put a glowing arrow to go to it like what if players miss it (laughs) (laughs) and I yeah I really like that it trusts the player enough to do that yeah it's it's a good feeling it's even like to move briefly back to Breath of the Wild for a minute there's I had a lot of gripes of video games like a lot of Dark Souls fans have a lot of gripes about, you know, Dark Souls 3 and, like, Dark Souls 2. And, like, where did these things fit? These are things that I would change. These are things I didn't like. But, of course, at the core of it, there's stuff that you really, really like that's really core to the series. And I do really enjoy games that wait for you to find things. That it just drops you and you're like, okay, go. Go. Be gone. I had... Breath of the Wild specifically, and part of the reason I enjoyed it, and part of the reason why I think I'd be more inclined to enjoy Souls now. When I first started playing it, I was an instant gratification kind of person. Like, I have to have a linear way to go. And I think now it would be a little easier for me to get over that need. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Breath, was... Breath of the Wild is the perfect game to kind of teach you that, right? We um... There are so many things there's this whole route of side quests that a lot of people don't know about and you can get like the snowshoes and the sand shoes right but it's this whole like 
extra bit about the lore of the Seven Sisters over the Gerudo Valley, and I hardly know anybody who's actually gone and done it. <laughs> I need that's to, because it's horrible. I need to. Uh, I, I need to go do that because I don't know anything about that. <laughs> and I it's horrible. Yeah. Don't do it. It's bad. Like also do because you learn a lot of cool stuff about like the Gerudos as a whole and like even that area of the map as a thing and like lore wise it's still really cool but like also it's horrible so there's that which is how i feel about a lot of dark souls it's like hey you could go get this really cool item but like also it's horrible like (laughs) in advance it's just awful well i mean just like look at the rikuyu right like that's the perfect example it's it's even a cool weapon (laughs) it looks so cool oh it's one of my favorite skill weapons like i I did a build specifically for it and then had a friend help me at like you know blood level 40 try to get that thing which was Oh, it took so long. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's um, it's it's interesting. Like going back to the like the armor style, it's something that I think is uh, it, dealing with video games. Like we don't get enough of just with you know mm-hmm. something just as basic as hey, this armor looks normal on a woman and isn't you know provocative or sexualized in any kind of way. It just looks like armor. Like it looks like the same yeah. way as a dude wears it, except maybe a little different because the body shape is different naturally. Um, something as small as that, you know, just hearing you say like that made me a little bit more interested in the game. Like just imagine game developers start acknowledging these things and start putting this kind of stuff in the game and taking out all of like the male gaze things. And, oh yeah, all of a sudden now women actually want to play your game <laughs> because it's not, it's right. not leaning so far the like, other way. It's not that women don't like games. Come on, people. Uh, women make up 51% of video game demographic yeah. in most cases, but it's even like, it's so hard for me now these days like as a feminist i want to see more of this thing in my video game but as a lesbian please like please just just i also like to look at girls but like it's there's sometimes it's just so male gazey that i i just can't but like still guilty of sometimes enjoying a character that you know is specifically for fan service yeah and Bad. I think I think it's you know I think there's a there's a level of intention there as well. Like I remember when mm-hmm. um, Near Automata was coming out, Yoko Tora was getting a lot of heat for uh, just Two B's general you know aesthetic. Like she's yeah she's obviously like of a certain style. Like she's she is she was modeled yeah. to be attractive. Um, not, not trying to make a pun there, I promise. Um, but <laughs> uh, you know they asked him like why why she why is an android wearing like a short skirt and heels? And he just basically said because I like to look at women in short skirts and heels. And that's the character that I wanted to build. And I was like, well, I mean, I mean me. like, <laughs> at least you're honest. Yeah. Like, at least it's just right there. Like, okay, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's obviously that might turn somebody off um, to a degree. Like if they, if they don't want to play the quote unquote anime game, but at the same time, yeah. if you're clear with your intentions and you're not trying to hide it behind some bullshit, then I can't really get mad at you for it. <laughs> like it's your video game. Yep. It's your art. You make your art. So like there's still a video game I want to play. And we had being broke and loving video games are it's so hard absolutely it's so hard video games are so expensive and i understand why they're expensive but they're so expensive but like i'm not gonna lie i wouldn't have as much interest in near if one i knew it wouldn't hurt my feelings and two if like 2b was wearing like the winged knight set like i probably wouldn't be as interested in looking at it really if (laughs) (laughs) i i just I'm I'm gay. That's the only yeah, thing yeah, I can that's... really say about it. It's even like with Bloodborne. It's true. After reason I got into it is because I saw fan art that reminded me of Molly's character, and I'm a lesbian. 
Lady Maria could kill me any day and I'd still be happy about it. I was hoping that would come up naturally in this conversation. I, so I'm glad that I can't did. help it, man. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> I had a running joke if it was going to be um, breaking a neck or killing. So I, I guess, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I do my best. I love her. Like everybody in the video game, everybody in Dark Souls with a select few deserves better probably. A lot of these NPCs are supposed to be helping, even the more tragic bosses probably deserve better than Dark Souls gave them. Never going to happen, but deserved better. It would be really cool if, one, if, you know, instead of bothering to save Yarnum, if just like you and Eileen and Gascoigne's kids just left and raised chickens or something, like I could also <laughs> deal with that as being the end to my video game. Yeah, uh, you know, the. With Bloodborne, every E3, that Bloodborne uh, cart game image gets, starts getting circulated again. I want Bloodborne cart so bad. And uh, I just, I just have to, I just, I always picture like, you know, like the little animation at the end if you win a race and like just seeing Lady Maria or Eileen or whoever just be so happy that they won the race and like that's the best that their life will ever get because in the actual right? game it's so bad. It's like when in freaking Mario Kart 8 when they finally put Link in the video game and just seeing this kid just grin forever. Like, please give me Bloodborne cart. I want to see, like, the dumb hats flap in the wind. Like, it would be really good. Also, can you imagine a racing track in Yarnum? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's somebody, uh, I want to say I, I linked this to, to Nikki at one day, but th- someone actually did, like, a some sort of weird video where they did, like, Bloodborne Kart. Or maybe it was Dark Souls Kart Racing where they modded Dark Souls <laughs> and to do some sort of weird kart thing that was so hilarious. I'll, try, I'll see if I can find that video and send it to your way because it's, it's really, really funny. I'm really glad. Every game I needs just, a cart version. Let's just go ahead. Like I would like near automatic cart. Like that's, I'm fine with Please. that. Please, <laughs> like it's God. Like Mario has them. Why can't everybody else? It's just a really good idea. Let us like go play tennis. Can you imagine that? Like bloodborne tennis. tennis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know where that would actually take place. Yeah, but. Since we're on the subject, like, what what do you want to see from from like in the next Souls game? Like, a like, are you do you? I guess number one, do you follow like from software news? So like this week we I got, do follow from software news. Okay, yeah. yeah. So what what are you looking forward to them doing? Like uh, as a as a development studio. Uh, I I really love the like the one classic fantasy look they went for in Dark Souls, and um. I like the way that Bloodborne looked in the sense of, like, Gothic Victorian, but I really want to see them also explore the Eastern aesthetic again, I guess, because it's been, you know, 84 million years since this happened. Mm -hmm. Like, with Shadows Die Twice, like, the 10, 11, maybe 12 second trailer they did, if one more person says Bloodborne 2, (laughs) it's not going to be Bloodborne 2. It's not. You know it's not. You know in your heart of hearts it's not Bloodborne 2. Stop asking for it. I'd really like to see them do a new game. Like, keep the same, I don't know, depth in their story themes, but, like, explore more aesthetics than Western historical dark fantasy aesthetic. Do you feel me? Absolutely, yeah. I think, um, like, I'm with you that it's not going to be Bloodborne 2, because, I mean, just straight up, like... If it was Bloodborne 2, I feel like Sony would have not let that announcement happen at a video games award show. Like they would have do that on their right. stage in some 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 way or fashion. So that's probably going to be some sort of multi-platform game, not yeah. published by Sony. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I kind of 
I just I like Bloodborne so much that I want more of it. <laughs> like, like I would I do want give me more Dragonborn. Of it. Like I, I want more of that game. Like it doesn't necessarily have to connect, but I just want more of it. Just more, just a little bit more. But just, I don't want them to like beat the horse, you know. Look yeah, because I think I feel like that's what happened with Dark Souls. Is that we? Yeah. Is that the there was such a demand for more from you know because that game was such a success and it created this mm-hmm. entire cottage industry around itself that you know Namco looks at that and goes like where well, there's no way like we're gonna we're you know that this is a this we is got, a bag that prints money one. yeah we got we got to make another one and they they tried to do something crazy different for Dark Souls 2 and it just didn't quite work out and so then they went back to the well for Dark Souls 3 and then realized like oh wait people don't like that either so we can't satisfy anybody <laughs> great <laughs> it's, uh, it's like kind of a gold star like maybe one of the actual like points is ripped off but like you tried yeah exactly you tried your best <laughs> tried your best <laughs> succeeded to a point but like as somebody who's the filthy casual when it comes to Dark Souls, I have heard both sides of the story. I've heard people who really, really love Dark Souls 3, and I've heard the people who were, you know, more disappointed than anything else in it. But everyone has their own opinions. I guess generally as a game, even the more I learn about it, it seems too, it seems a little bit too different from like Dark Souls, and of course it's nothing like Dark Souls 2 because Dark Souls 2 is the problem child. Very good problem, child. Just talents lay elsewhere. (laughs) But Dark Souls 3 is just so... Like, it's a little bit too different to satisfy what people were looking for for Dark Souls. I've I've asked this question to a couple of people before. Um, I wonder how more how much more successful that game would have been if they had not called it dark souls 2 like if you're like the joke there would be dragon right? souls or, or whatever but just have it oh my god like have still the you know the you know you can still have a moonlight great sword because like the moonlight great sword is from yep. armored core like that's from a sci-fi mech game so like it doesn't that doesn't necessarily matter to me but remove the direct connections to it like remove that expectation from people's mind that solaire is going to show up or something and i wonder mm-hmm. how much how much more open to that game people would have been Right. Especially because a really big problem with Dark Souls 2 that I've found specifically is that they're really... I know Dark Souls is all about the breadcrumb lore. And that's great from software. I love it. But, like, you gotta timeline me a little bit more, buddy. Like, you gotta... It just seems so out of left field. Yeah, and, I want to I wanna see the master book. Like, because I've always... The Dark Souls lore to me has always been a book that they've torn pages out of or chapters mm-hmm. out of. And then, like divided up all of the knowledge with item descriptions and things like that and then handed yeah. to you but i want to see that whole book <laughs> like i want to read the history like, novels please yeah yeah i would be i would be very interested in that and you can do do that with bloodborne to an extent like that that one dude wrote that 80 page manifesto of, that explains bloodborne's you know lore mostly to to, to a, a large degree so mm-hmm. but yeah well, Steph, thank you for, for guesting. I really appreciate you coming back on. Uh, you're one of the yeah. very few people that have been on this podcast twice. So, oh. <laughs> I'm flattered that you asked me too, honestly. Yeah, I was, I was, I was very curious, like based on the conversation that we had way back in episode 69, of just you know, not just talking about those aspects of the game, but kind of getting into mm-hmm. it in a more general fashion. So thank you very much again for, uh, for guesting. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. Where can you be found on the internet should people try to, to, get, to contact you? On Twitter. Pretty Twitter. much just Twitter. Yeah. What's your uh, handle? Riot on Twitter. I am Andraste's Light on Twitter. I have been Andraste's Light for five years, I think. Yeah, it was around the time I moved to America, so about five years. Cool. 
I'll, uh, I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. So um, thank you again for guesting, and thank you for not talking about Final Fantasy XIV. I really appreciate that. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure that was really hard for you. <laughs> As you see, I do my best. Uh, thank you for guesting again. I really appreciate it. Uh, as always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. If you want to support the show, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash don'tgiveupskeleton. A couple of bucks a month really makes a, a big difference in getting the show done. It really is a huge help. And uh, in 2018, I have some ideas for some companion shows and some cool stuff that I think you might be interested in. So be sure to check that out. Um, if you can't though that's okay you can still listen to the show you can leave an iTunes review we've had some really nice ones in the last few weeks and that's really really nice and gratifying I'm glad that you guys are enjoying the show but most importantly the thing that you need to remember to do is don't give up skeleton which is still a very cute outro that we did thank you very much I can't <laughs> believe I had to have a, 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 a listener like a guest like one of my friends that does a, a board game podcast he was like yeah you have to say don't give up skeleton